This is Melissa Ford Locken. Rosalie Pachowski. Susan Seraph and Jess. Editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. Expect the unexpected as our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to Lansing. This is Melissa Fordlocken, editor for the Washington Square Review. Today I'm talking with Chris Arthur who's a contributor to the Washington Square Review, and the essay that Chris submitted is titled Letters from the Dead. Well, thank you, Chris, and welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Melissa. It's uh, good to be here on air with you. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your essay. How did you come to write it? Well, like a lot of the essays that I write, it started from uh, simply finding objects that seemed to speak to me, if you like. I mean, quite often I find... Objects seem to have stories built into them. There's something about them. And uh, with these particular objects, there were letters that I found in among my father's papers when I was clearing out his desk, uh, handwritten letters from his parents. And they just fascinated me because they gave me a glimpse into his life and a glimpse into the lives of grandparents that I'd never met because they died before I was born. What kind of emotional experience was that? Uh, Hard to put in a nutshell. I I mean, if if I'm honest, which I I guess I ought to be, uh, (laughs) part of the emotion was pleasure at finding something that I knew was going to work as an essay. Because, um, you know, I enjoy writing essays. It's something that, that I've done for years and it gives me great pleasure. And sometimes a piece almost writes itself. Sometimes you find something and you think, yeah, that gives me an angle. That gives me, it tells the story itself. So in a sense, all I have to do is sit down, take the thing, think about it. Uh, it's, it's also a reminder of just how powerful writing can be, because simply finding a few sheets of paper that someone decades ago had written on, it opens up a whole realm of stories, a whole realm of ideas about their lives and what was happening for them. I'm wondering if the writing of the essay evoked new emotions compared to when you first found the letters. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it made me reflect on uh, what I've just been speaking about in, in terms of the potency of language, how, you know, something that has no feelings in it, has no kind of... It's just a sheet of paper, some marks made with a pen. Uh, you know, it's something that is is old, that is uh, fragile, that will probably at some point, you know, just get thrown away. But it spoke to me in that moment. And it said something not just about that time in history and not just about those specific lives. It said something about what you can do when you put pen to paper and, and how that can communicate across time between very different personalities and and how it carries that cargo with it. And I I find that fascinating. 
One of the things that strikes me is that when you have an experience, as you described, of finding the letters, you experience it alone, but then when you write it into an essay, you begin to make it meaningful for someone else, and you invite them into your world. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's 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 one of the one of the key pleasures of writing. I mean, that that you can actually communicate uh, the the insight that you're getting from from a thing, and you can make it come alive uh, on the page. I find it really fascinating. Um, the letters, I guess, belong to a type of essay. I think it was Adam Gopnik who said there are three types of essays: review essays, memoir essays, and what he calls odd object essays, and a lot of my essays fall into that last category, except I don't think the, the I don't think the objects are particularly odd. I think they're more often ordinary. But I think when you start to look at ordinary objects, when you start to write essays about them, you realize that they're not ordinary at all. They're they're extraordinary. So I think this essay falls into that kind of category. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, I write other sorts of essays as well, but but. I think the ones I enjoy most start with something concrete. You know, they start with whether it's a letter or a briefcase or, you know, an owl's skull, because it can be a, you know, a natural object as opposed to a manufactured one. Um, it seems to me simply fascinating to unpack the cargo that, that is there and to share that with readers. What are some other objects that you've created essays from? Oh, goodness. Let me think. Um, well, in terms of manufactured objects, I, I guess, yeah. Well, the first essay I, I ever wrote, this, the first serious essay that I wrote was a piece called Ferule. And Ferule was, its point of departure was the Ferule at the end of my, my father's walking stick. You know, a small metal cap that protects the wood when you put it on the ground. And yeah, that, that essay actually, if I can sort of, I don't know, maybe this is a slight digression, but it was the first essay I wrote and I had a piece of beginner's luck with that um, because the first journal I offered it to uh, said yes and it got published and I got paid for it. And on the basis of that, a literary agent contacted me and said, oh, I'm quite interested in what you do. That was just an interesting um I sometimes wonder what would have happened if that editor had said no. Um, you know, things might, might have turned off, turned out very differently. But as well as as that, I've I've written about old books, uh, briefcases, uh, cigarette box, um, a Japanese temple bell. Uh, that was an essay I very much enjoyed um, writing as well. Uh, statue of a Buddha, a Klausani bowl. And if you think of, you know, moving from the manufactured to natural, I've written about leaves, drift seeds, um, bird's eggs, fossilized whale bones. You know, that's just what comes to mind. Uh, I've, I've probably forgotten some, but it's, it's a frequent source in what I, what I write. How do you know when you come across an object that it's time to write an essay about it? Uh, now, that's that's a very good question, very interesting question. It simply announces itself. You know, I know. I don't know if I could explain that. Um, you know, sometimes it looks very unpromising. But, um, I mean, like, for example, um, one autumn, a leaf blew into my gateway, and it was just slightly unusually shaped. 
and I picked it up and yeah, I just knew that that was going to work as an essay, but it doesn't always happen. You know, I, I would love to know what it is about things that sometimes they generate pieces of writing and sometimes they don't. And I don't think I understand that. Have you ever come across an object and wish that it called for an essay, but it didn't? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That does sometimes happen. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have occasionally started essays and abandoned them. But I think at this point uh, in, in my you know writing experience, uh, I can recognize that fairly rapidly now and uh, simply, you know, not proceed beyond the first couple of paragraphs. Do you do anything with the abandoned pieces? Yeah, I keep the abandoned pieces in a file, which I call originally dump file. And my intention at some point is to do something with it, but I never have yet. And and I'm kind of wary of getting drawn too far into it, because I think sometimes when you dump something, there's a very good reason for dumping it. And, you know, whether or not there's any live potential, real potential in it, that's debatable. Occasionally, you know, if, I, if I'm not working on a, on a kind of current piece, I look through that file looking for leads. And so far, without exception, I simply think, nah, those aren't going to work. I know you've written books as well as the essays, and I'm wondering what the writing process, how it, in what ways is it similar and what ways is it different? Yeah, well, I guess writing books of essays uh, is, in, in a sense, you're spoiled because you, you you can publish them a bit at a time. I mean, I, I sometimes feel sorry for fiction writers. Well, I guess if you're a short story writer, you can do the short stories and then work it up to a novel. But with with my books of essays, I mean, a proportion of the essays will always have been published in journals. That will be their first airing. I mean, I'll alter them for the book. But it's not as if I sit down and write uh, an essay collection from scratch. You know, it's more a case of, of putting together essays that I think work together. And that, that again, is a, is a part of the writing process that I don't fully understand. Uh, you know, when you know that you have a collection and that it works as a collection, um, because it's not just a case of, you know, shoveling, uh, a certain number of essays together to get the length of a book. I mean, it's it's got to have some sort of coherence. It's got to it's got to fit together, um, and it's difficult to put into words just what it is that makes a collection a collection. Uh, it's something that interests me, but I don't have a an easy answer to it. Maybe if you did have an answer, it wouldn't interest you anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. You're probably right. If I had an answer, I would probably put together a book that I didn't really want to write. Yeah, so I hope that you don't get the answer in that case. <laughs> it sounds like there's a lot of intuition involved and honoring your own intuition. And that, that can be tough because other people sometimes will want to offer you um, insight or feedback. And it sounds like you really just is an intuitive process for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think intuition is it plays a big part in it. But but I mean, I do I do listen to what people say. You know, if people are offering offering advice, I mean, I I, I have learned a lot about writing from feedback from readers and from comments that editors have made and that kind of thing. So I mean, I'm I'm open to that. But um, 
Nobody has said anything so far that uh, has led me to understand the, the, the kind of dynamic of putting together a, a collection. That's something that I, that I do very intuitively. You mentioned uh, feedback from readers and editors. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, some of the writers that I know claim not to read reviews and claim not to be particularly interested in what readers say and, you know, go back to the kind of old thing that writers are really only writing for themselves. And I mean, you know, I understand that. I, I mean, part of me is writing for me, but part of me is definitely not. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely interested to hear what people think when they read a piece of mine. I mean, sometimes, of course, if it's, if it's an editor, they, they have very particular things that they want to say in terms of whether a piece fits their journal. But I think the feedback that I enjoy getting most is the kind of out-of-the-blue feedback from a reader I've never heard of who just gets in touch, you know, the joy of email, just gets in touch and lets me know that something that I've written has touched them. You know, it has moved them and it has meant something to them. And they've taken the time and the trouble to get in touch and say something about that. And I find that enormously encouraging. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I think uh, writing needs to be read, you know, it needs readers, reading and writing. It's it's like the kind of two beats in the heart, the systole diastole, you know, reading and writing. So uh, that, that, that's really special if readers do get in touch and let me know how, how an essay has, has affected them. Yeah, I would, I agree with that because it, it shows you how important it was to them that they would take the time to find you and find a way to get in touch and, and let you know. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. So it sounds like the feedback that you get from the readers serves a different purpose than the feedback that you get from editors. Yes, I, I, th I think that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's true. I mean, one of the things I value about feedback from editors is the way sometimes they suggest cuts that I wouldn't have thought of myself and occasionally very radical cuts, you know, like an 8,000-word essay, they say, well, actually, you know, we could, we could do this in 6,000, and how's about doing it this way? And although I'm quite resistant to losing that degree of what I've written, I am deeply impressed by the skill of some editors who can make it work. And I, I, I like to think I've learned a bit about that um, from, you know, one of the things I like to do is send work out to a whole range of journals. You know, I, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy publishing in different places. And part of the enjoyment stems from the interaction I've had over the years with a whole variety of editors giving all sorts of different bits of feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so each journal has a different approach to the way they put things together and the sorts of things that they look for. And that can be really helpful for people that are interested in submitting to keep that in mind. Absolutely. I mean, so some places are happy to take things exactly as you send them. And, you know, that's that's nice. But uh, so, some editors take a much more, um, well, let's work on this together. Uh, we wanted to, to kind of fit the mission of our journal and we wanted to fit this particular format. Um, occasionally that can be irksome. And, you know, if it's very irksome, I will never darken their door again. But uh, more frequently, it's helpful. And it allows me to stand back from my writing and see it the way someone else sees it. And someone who is, you know, expert in, in the business of putting together the written word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned being a fellow with the Royal Literary Fund. 
Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the Royal Literary Fund, a fascinating organization based in London, and it's a charity that exists to support writers. Um, Part of its charitable function is simply, um, you know, being there to help writers who are in need, who are in financial distress. And they have a whole scheme that has helped writers over the years, including some very, you know, famous uh, names. But... They also run, in addition to their charitable work, they run something called their fellowship scheme, where they will appoint writers as fellows for a period of one, two or three years and place those fellows for a couple of days a week into one of the universities in the UK that is cooperating with the scheme. And the idea is that professional writers have something to offer students. You know, students are are charged with writing essays, projects, assignments, dissertations. And the Royal Literary Fund took the view that uh, the standard of writing in Britain at universities was a little bit, uh, well, not as good as it could be. Uh, They came to that view uh, some years ago and they thought, well, how can we help? And they decided they could help by placing writers into the universities and uh, outside of the kind of academic, you know, assessment system, just being there and allowing students to book time to come and see them and talk with them about their writing. And this is, you know, you you could be talking to a a student from any subject area about anything they're wanting to write. And it's it's a fascinating thing to do. I've held a number of those fellowships and I'm grateful to the Royal Literary Fund for for letting me do so because, again, it, it, it has brought me into... Uh, contact with such a range of different writers uh, and students trying to improve their writing skills. And I like to think that I've been helpful to them, but uh, they've also been helpful to me because in talking with students about writing and in making suggestions about, you know, how they can improve a piece, how they can improve their writing practice, I mean, that actually helps me to think about how I write and and uh, hopefully to make some improvements too. Right. It kind of puts you in that editor seat that you, we were talking about before. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, what are you working on right now, today or tomorrow? Uh, well, a couple of things. Um, I mean, I have a book in press called uh, What Is It Like to Be Alive? 14 Attempts at an Answer. Uh, That book is written. um, So I'm at the stage, I've just uh, completed the copy edits. So I've gone through the copy edits and those are back with the editor. So, you know, that's very much a current project, but the sort of writing of that is done. I'm also working on something completely different um, that I'm kind of experimenting with. Uh, One of the things I like to write as well as essays, uh, I've always been fascinated in haiku poetry. And recently, an artist got in touch with me. She'd come across some of my haiku poetry and thought they fitted some of her paintings and was wanting to use some in an exhibition catalogue, which was great. So we collaborated in that. And we're now experimenting or um, making inquiries about a co-written book with um, paintings by the artist and haiku by me. And it it would be a, a book of bird haiku. I mean, birds are something that fascinate me, always have done. Some of my essays are about birds, but I also like to write uh, in a completely different gear. You know, essays, that allows you, well, 
there, there is no upper limit in a sense. You can write virtually any length. Uh, my essays tend to be between six and 8,000 words. So sometimes it's nice just to say, okay, I'm going to change gear completely and uh, write in 17 syllables. So <laughs> That's quite I'm, a difference. <laughs> yeah, it's a big difference. So I, I'm quite enjoying both collaborating with an artist and exploring a very different side of publishing because, I mean, I'm used to placing manuscripts for essay collections. This is the first time I've tried to place a manuscript for um, an illustrated book, and it, it will be a richly illustrated book. Uh, whether or not we'll succeed, I don't know. Publishing's a funny business, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> if someone would like to start with reading your work, what would you suggest they read first? I'm always slightly slightly flummoxed by that question. <laughs> I mean, part of, part of me says read the most recent one, um, which is Hidden Cargoes, which is, came out last year. And uh, my daughters would, would agree with that choice. They say that's the best one to start with, but their reason is because it's the shortest. <laughs> and they, they think, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's easy. I would either start with that one, Hidden Cargoes, or a new and selected essays volume that came out in 2009. That was called Words of the Grey Wind. And the reason I'd recommend that is because, in a sense, you're getting three books for the price of one because most of that book draws its material from my first three collections, Irish Nocturnes, Irish Willow, and Irish Haiku, and pairs it with some new work. So, you know, you, you, you get some of my earlier work and, and some of the later stuff. So th those would be the two things, I reckon. Beautiful. That sounds great. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air. Where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's Literary Journal. The Washington Square Review. A publication featuring writers in the Great Lakes State. Across the nation. And around the world. To find out more about the Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu slash WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The LCC Library empowers the Lansing community to learn, teach, and discover. Located on the second and third floors of the Technology and Learning Center at the corner of Capitol and Shiawassee on LCC's downtown campus, the LCC Library's ambient spaces are available to the public for work, study, or quiet personal projects. In addition, those with memberships at collaborating libraries are free to check out materials from the LCC Library's collections. For more information, visit lcc.edu library. Attention men under the age of 35. You know what really impresses the ladies? When a guy has a few drinks and later gets pulled over for buzz driving. That could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. There goes let's grab dinner and a movie. Oh, I know. You drive more carefully when you're buzzed. You've proven that hundreds of times. A woman admires that kind of confidence. And you've practiced how to speak if a cop does pull you over. Slowly, clearly, and politely like, good evening, officer. A woman admires that kind of foresight. 
And what woman doesn't find it adorable that you call it buzzed even though the law calls it drunk? You could kiss $10,000 goodbye, along with any chance of having a girlfriend. Because nothing says, I'm a catch, more than a guy who lives in his parents' basement and calls it my place. Buzzed, busted, and broke. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu slash scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. The Model T Ford is perhaps the most famous automobile in the world. From its introduction in 1908 until production ceased in 1927, Ford produced some 15 million Model Ts. The car was simple, reliable, and affordable for middle-class Americans. The first Model Ts cost $825, equal to about $23,000 today. But mass production allowed Ford to drop its price. By 1925, a Model T cost only $260. The car earned several nicknames, most commonly Tin Lizzie and Fliver. The Tin Lizzie became such a prominent part of American popular culture that a whole series of Model T jokes swept the country. Some jokes dealt with the Model T's simple construction, such as a little spark, a little coil, a little gas, a little oil, a piece of tin, a two-inch board, put them together and you have a Ford. A favorite Model T joke had it that a farmer tore the tin metal roof off his barn, crated it up, and shipped it to the Ford Motor Company. A few days later, he received a letter from Ford that stated, Your car is one of the worst wrecks we have ever seen, but we'll have it fixed for you within a week or ten days. Another story had it that when Henry Ford delivered a speech, he announced that his factories were turning out a Model T every three minutes. That's not fast enough, shouted an audience member. Ford then declared that new machinery would soon allow the assembly line to produce a new auto every 90 seconds. That's not enough, cried the same heckler. Henry Ford asked him to explain. There's a sucker born every minute, the man declared. Well, the Model T was cheap, but the low cost came at a price to comfort. When two men allegedly were discussing Ford, one declared that Henry Ford had done something for America that everyone should appreciate. What's that? The other asked. The first one answered, he has made walking a pleasure. Henry Ford made a fortune on the Model T and loved the jokes, since they were great advertising and helped sell cars. When the Model A finally replaced the Model T, jokesters had the last laugh. Ford, they declared, had made a lady out of Lizzie. Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org.
sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Every year, the Dental Hygiene Clinic at Lansing Community College provides essential services to people in the mid-Michigan community. Open to the public, the clinic is led by a licensed dental faculty and provides a platform for LCC dental students with the opportunity to hone their dental hygiene skills. Associated fees apply to the clinic services. To find more information, visit lcc.edu slash dentalclinic. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by feedthepig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right. Which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Keep yourself connected with what's happening in mid-Michigan by joining us for Community Convos, a show from LCC Connect, where we talk with the people who put the festive in our festivals and those that give traction to our attractions. Find out who's on the convo and listen on demand at lccconnect.org. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stars on Sports. As usual, I am joined by our assistant athletic director and baseball coach, Stephen Cutter. Today, Stephen will be discussing a smorgasbord of topics um, as we tape this at the end of our academic um, semester and calendar year. So in previous podcasts, we had talked about reflecting on our year a year and a half at LCC. Again, it's just that time of year that to, to do a lot of reflecting. And you and I have spent a lot of time talking about just time in general. And 
Time has always fascinated me. We talk about money. We talk about um, responsibility, other things that impact our day. But time is the one that's always confused me. You know, it can be fast. It can be slow. We can lose it. Somebody can steal it. It's precious. There's so many facets of time that we probably don't maximize. And I know you have studied it and studied, you know, the importance of a day. And, and, and I think we've even talked on previous podcasts about the 14 minutes in a day that we have to really maximize. But time is very important in athletics. To coaches, planning practice, you know, maximizing that time. I don't like bothering coaches on game day and, and how important pregame routines are and, and getting focused and ready for, for competition and optimizing that competition. But it's even more important, I think, for practice. And, and in my coaches' meetings, I always talk about the importance of a practice plan and laying it out and making sure your assistant coaches have it and you making it purposeful. And then at the end of the day, reflecting and seeing what you, you accomplished and what you need to do the next day. And one of the best articles I ever read talked about how people should take that coach's structure and apply it to everyday life, that they should do the same thing every day, that practice plan, what, you know, what can you do throughout the day and, and put it on your schedule? I am not very good at that. And I am learning to <laughs> you smile over there and even being on time is something I have to, to do better of and be respectful. Of. But it's one thing I think that good coaches do well and something that the rest of society could learn from coaches on that practice plan. Well, Time is really the only thing that we have. It's really the only guarantee that we have in life until it's done. I certainly have researched time and, and how to be efficient. I've created that with my life. I understand with a normal human life expectancy, you're going to spend about 28% of your life sleeping. You're also going to spend about 23% of your life if you work 40 hours in a week working that works out to 51 percent of your life so what are you going to do with the rest of that in in your time so that's kind of a, a broad picture but what happens with that and why people feel so busy all the time is exactly because of that they're not so intentional with their time time slips away time is uh, without systems and they end up feeling overwhelmed super busy. All of those things happen. I think it's important to, you know, for me to ask you, you've been really busy. You've got a super busy week this week. Why are you so busy? And the difference is being, everyone thinks they're busy and being productive or effective. And True. I'm always busy, but I have to be more productive and, and, and maximize the things I do get done and the important things I get done. I can, you know, we all tend to see, do, like to do the things that are easy or we can accomplish real quickly, but at some time you got to tackle the challenging ones. And my philosophy is always, I'd rather tackle them, get those done and in with the the easy ones. Or, you know, okay. when I first took this job at LCC, it seemed like, man, everyone works on at five o'clock on Friday. Everyone sends me emails like they worked all week to get it done. And now, you know, heading into the weekend, I got all these things to do. And just very impressive that they're 
being so productive on Friday afternoon. Some people coast into the weekend, but I think it's more just managing the important tasks that I need to get done. And there's different ones from this simple clerical task to meaningful bigger picture tasks and focusing or or planning that day to spend enough time on either one. And as I mentioned, I I have a, a colleague that puts lunch on his calendar just to make sure he gets it in. And I don't spend my day saying from nine to 10, send thank yous, 10 to 11, work on eligibility. And so it's something I can definitely do better because I think I'm busy um, with a lot of little you know, medial tasks or such. But I just have to do better at being more effective with getting the tasks done I need to. And I'm not good at it. I am not good at managing time. That's why I run late. I, I want to get something done before I leave instead of waiting to come back. I don't say no enough. I mean, if someone comes and interrupts me, I'm going to talk to them instead of let's schedule an appointment an hour later. Or The more intentional you become, the more that you say no. So the, the more that you're appreciating your the time that you do have you say no a lot more and if you think about it before I got into coaching I was in the business world for a number of years and I would always have these meetings tons of meetings and every meeting that was on my calendar was scheduled for an hour and we would go into these meetings and if it was scheduled for an hour it, it would take an hour and we started, I started getting really intentional with my time there as well. And you could get meetings done in 15 minutes sometimes. You didn't need an hour. So that's where it kind of comes in. When, when we're coaching, we're somewhat limited on the time that we have. And so I look at like our baseball team, which will start up again with practices on January 10th. And the postseason tournament will start on May 11th. And if you remove sleep, college, eating, studying, we have about 968 hours to work with them. Now, can we practice for 968 hours? No, we, we could, but we're not going to. But I can be in front of them. Our program can be in front of them. As long as we're sending stuff to their phones, which they typically always have, we're in front of them. So we're super intentional about those 968 hours that we have with them. And we're in front of them as much as we possibly can be. Because if we're not in front of them, somebody else will be. And that's and that's where the, the time and being super intentional about things, you can actually be a lot more productive and spend less time than what somebody else is that's not intentional about it. And that's one of the benefits of technology is we can utilize that. It's also one of the disadvantages is if they're on it even more. But back to your point of no, Warren Buffett's number one leadership quality to being effective was being the ability to say no. And then to your meeting point, yeah, there seems to be a stigma that they have to be an hour where 15 to 20 minute meetings can be very impactful and successful. One of my favorite quotes on meetings is it's where minutes are taken and hours are wasted. But to your point of, you know, utilizing technology to help being productive, that's, you know, a goal of ours in, in the athletic office is we have signed up for some software that will hopefully help us maximize communication and calendars that we can definitely utilize our time better. You know, as we um, reflect on this year and think of all the time, both of us I wouldn't consider inpatient, but we, you know, we are excited about a lot that we can accomplish. But it's still, 
at this time of year, good to reflect, but also important to look forward. So that's something that I'm trying to do. Reading is also important. Both of I talked about reading late at night when everyone else is sleeping to, so we can still spend time with our family, then spend time on ourselves. One of my favorite leaders of all time said, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others and find time for yourself, whether it's exercising or just going in a room and writing and reading. And, and it's very important to find time for yourself too, which I think, you know, in our business, we struggle and in society today struggle with doing that too, especially as we've talked about our schedule, um, the impacts of, of the hours and, and different times that our events take place. If you're not intentional with your schedules and you're not setting your own schedule, somebody else will set your schedule for you. And that's, that's ultimately why I believe that a lot of people end up with burnout and they just to get tired of, of everything that's happening because somebody else is setting their schedule for them consistently. And we're not just talking about at work, we're talking about in life. And that becomes a really tough road to be on. So the more you can kind of look at the, the minutes that you get in a day and how much you waste, and if you can be really honest with yourself and, and go through that kind of stuff of the time that you're, you're wasting, then you can find some clarity and and start getting a little bit better and what that percentage is. Maybe it's 5%, maybe it's one. It really doesn't matter. It's for you. And if it's for you, it should really matter because we're all limited on our time. You know, we're not as young as we used to be and we're all limited. And I think even more important in the education business, both in coaching and with our faculty on campus is we are in charge of other people's time and how important it is. And, and you and I have talked about how one of the biggest issues that face student athletes is time management. So it's important that not only manage our time, but be organized and effective enough to not waste other people's time, especially student athletes that do have, you know, some have jobs, some, you know, obviously practice, some have families. And so just important in our business where, and in every business, I'm sure, to, to make sure we're managing other people's time too. And just get back to me of the concept of time again and where, how broad and of range that is. I am I always seem to think that certain themes like hit me and I see it so many times in a short amount of time that I think that's what I have to do. And, and a quote that I, my friend of mine sent me this weekend, then it was on my podcast this morning that I listened to, don't count the days, make the days count. And I just think, wow, twice in a week that that quote is, has come in front of me and how more timing than at the end of a, a, a calendar year when a lot of us spend time on, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? Did we make the most of that year? What's next year bring? Do we need New Year's resolutions, which I have never done? A lot of people talk about a one-word challenge, which I have never done. And maybe it's time for me to do something like that. But I continue to try and, and be better each day and work hard for the student athletes that I am empowered to lead. So That's, it, that's it, great because... I that's the secret to life is is finding the best version of yourself and that that whole journey of trying to trying to figure that out and we sleep really well at night when we know that we're on that path and that's that's what we want 
progress equals happiness. I, I don't typically pop in here, but I don't, I'm not familiar with the uh, one word. Cha- this is Dedalian. What, what is the one word challenge? John Gordon, I believe is a big yes. believer in it, but it, it picking one word and that's like your theme for the year, like love or heart or um, just finding that word that that's kind of growth connection, you know, just whatever's and whatever you feel is important for you to be able to grow into the next, version of yourself instead of setting a resolution that's that we know is probably not going to make it to the end of january you set a word that it's true to you and you keep working towards that you may have a day or a week that might not have that growth or that connection but it's still there with you throughout the whole year and you've worked on it i've i used it for a couple different years and i get i got a lot of value out of it actually Interesting. I I figure if I don't know the question, somebody else might not know as well. So always love thought you. I'd, I'd chime in. Always love you. Chime in, Idalian. And again, it's just simpler to follow than a, a goals or resolution. That one word is easier for people to identify and, and adapt and and hold on to. Um, maybe something I should try, but haven't been big on resolutions and um, even goals. I just you know. What else you got today, Stephen? Anything? Well, we talked a lot about time. What else is important to our athletic department right now? What's what's going on that's maybe takes a lot of your time? Well, this is a big week at the end of the the semester, so it's one of our most important. I don't want to say important or difficult or challenging, but eligibility. I mean, we got 150 student athletes, so. It's crunch time to see where grades fall and and finding paths for those that might have struggled or even identifying those that have struggled. Different for each team with our nine teams, you know, some that are both fall and winter semester programs. Some are just spring semester. Some are just fall. So it's really a, a busy time of figuring out eligibility and making sure our student athletes are able to compete or unfortunately we have some difficult conversation that they will not be able to compete. Technology has helped us out with avenues to be able to, to make up credits. So it's just really stressful because our student athletes experience it down the line of whether they, they can compete. And for It's different from then uh, just a student. If a student here at LCC fails a class, then they fail a class and they can make it up you know, next semester, if a student athlete here happens to be in that situation and they fail a class, it could mean that they're ineligible for their season. So it changes a lot because the student athletes, oftentimes their identities are tied into the sports that they play. And if you take that identity away, even if it's for one semester, it somewhat changes how they do or how they feel about the classroom too. Yeah, and it's difficult because if we lose a student athlete, it is hard to get them back. So thankfully, we have a lot of resources to try and help them. And the best approach is to be proactive and try and get them help before we get to this point. But law of averages, we're fortunate. Our overall GPA is over a 3.0, close to a 3 point, between a 3.0 and 3.2 for our, our student athletes. It's been proven that our student athletes do better in the classroom than than the general student body. But there's still a small percentage, probably around 10% that 
struggle and are in a difficult situation this time of year and it's having those difficult conversations and trying to find ways to help them move forward and our coaching staff is is very helpful our success coaches and advising are very helpful but it's just a lot in a short amount of time because as you mentioned January 10th is a new semester and the start of new seasons and all this has to be completed by then and figured out so we can determine who is able to participate next semester. So that's what I've been a lot of my time this week, and I'll spend the rest of my time this week and next week double-checking, rechecking, and making sure we've done everything we can to determine a a student-athlete's eligibility and and how to help them best move forward. Talking about student-athletes, and again, at this end of the semester, one of the other exciting things that we just finished up is, you know, meeting with our student-athlete advisory group last week. And that's always one of the highlights of my month. We meet monthly with them and we will have future members or future podcasts with members of of that team on this group. And something we started about a year ago and we're still figuring out the structure and the organization of it. But even in our infancy, it's been just exciting hearing our student athlete input on their experience as a student and athlete here at LCC. And our goal for that that group is so they have a voice so we can hear them and hear their perspective on what's going on at LCC. Leadership development, which Steve Coach Cutter is, is leading that and does an excellent job with his own program and in general with his training. Community service, which we're starting, you know, a lot of our teams already do community service, but we want this group to lead that and then the integration of our, our athletic program. We're so busy back the time of, of focusing on our own program or being a baseball player or being a women's basketball player that we want them to be able to support each other and get to know each other and understand because the people in that room are probably experiencing similar struggles or similar successes that they can share and know that they're not alone when they're dealing with with adversity or even success. So those are the four components of that group. We're, we're really starting to finalizing that. Each team is represented, but we just met last Friday. And that was, again, just I just leave with that with so much excitement and promise knowing that, you know, this is our future and these student athletes are are doing well. A couple highlights of the last year of that is, you know, they talked, you know, one of the most shocking things to me is how they don't use websites anymore, that they use apps to find things or Instagram. And if you put it on Instagram or have it on an app, they will know about it. But if you put it on a website, they are not searching websites anymore. And that was just shocking when we heard that. And then the other telling thing from the year is just how special they'd like to feel and whether it's having their own space or whether receiving recognition or, but mainly space and how as we talk about facility plans of giving them the space they need to be successful. So that five days later, that still stands in my mind of how that meeting went and just listening to them and the great student athletes that we have. Certainly here at LCC. Is something special that you created, bringing the group together and hearing their stories and their voices. It's definitely special. Just side note, smiling here. How long are those meetings? An hour. <laughs> I I think we I try to cut at forty five if we have to I I'm not time I'm not you know, stuck to a just, certain timeline but kidding. I do feel I do feel if it's not over a half hour we're not being productive or I'm wasting their time so I'm trying you know making sure we have a half hour of content but 
I like reading a room. I, I've been involved in many associations in the past as presidents of these associations. And I try and read the room that say, hey, we've had enough or we've spent too much time on this topic. Let's move on. I, I hope I have a good gauge of that. I think there's some people in the room that don't that could talk about an issue forever. And, and those people frustrate me. But well, um, even the NFL this year, I, I remember reading about it, that they went to they have they have so many meetings with players, coaches, just it's it's insane. They went to timers in the rooms for 20 minutes. And when that timer went up, they were done and it didn't matter. Uh, it went back to the psychology piece where people just have a hard time over that. We'll say their number was 20 minutes. I think it's actually less than that, but hard time staying focused and learning past that point when they're not focused anymore is just wasted time. So at the highest levels, they're practicing that piece of it. And uh, I think that can be taken in the business world and uh, in all worlds. You know? I believe that's true for us, even the length of practice time. I mean, some of these teams practice at length longer. And early in the season, it usually is longer. I've had some successful coaches that started with long practice and then tapered off as the season went on. And I think that's effective. But some of these coaches that have three to four hour practice mm -hmm. that I do think you you lose focus of the student athletes and they don't become as productive at the by the end of those practices. And then I think teams have even gotten worn out by the end of the season if that is a constant practice. Yes, good stuff. It is good stuff. Um, just quickly, where did the time go today? Is you know we talk about this podcast and where it goes. But as I think about each week, we do this podcast like my favorite moment and how sports touches so many people in life. Then it's a sad moment, but there was a great segment a month ago for the University of Michigan football program where they invited a he was a strong football player, but ended up having cancer, and they invited him to the to the football team. Yep, Muskegon. Michi. And it just how, I mean, I got emotional that day when they showed the piece on game day and just how impactful sports can be. And he ended up passing away this last weekend as we've taped this and very sad, but I know, you know, his story impacted so many lives and a life taken too short. And something we both emphasize as, you know, we're working on community service projects that, you know, we can connect with our community and the impact our student athletes can have on, on those lives. And just, I've been up some of myself, I didn't mention that because that off all, I've been thinking about that kid and, and the life that he had been dealt and how Michigan football made it special for him. And many programs and many athletic teams across the country do these kind of activities. We're doing them right here in LCC, which we will share in future podcasts, but how impactful sports can have on, on your community and it's sad how that story ended but it, it's not ending because you know, we're talking about it here on an LCC podcast of Amici Walker and, and the impact he had and the life he lived and you know how sports was an integral part of his life. There's really only two things that bring people together and first one's music and second one is sports and that's if you really break it down and look at it I mean how many times do you know thousands and thousands of people gather and it's through music and sports. And so you get a lot of those stories and a lot of them can touch your hearts and they can live on long past their time. And that's what's special about that. And I love both music and sports. And you're right. And that was the tough thing about the pandemic is we were keeping people apart. And those two activities wanted to still continue to bring those together. And it was really tough. 
on those particular organizations. So again, thank you again, Steve, as always good. Thank you everyone for joining us out there. And until next time, you can check us out on LCC Connect or athletic information on lccstars.com for more information. Go Stars! Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ Studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Stars! This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.